Hello and welcome to an Ultimaker Turns 10 bonus episode, a miniature portrait of one of our year one staff members who, along with our co-founders and some of their early collaborators, helped paint a portrait of Ultimaker in its earliest years. This is bonus episode one. I'm Harma Voltaj, and my role has always not been very well defined. So I do a lot of different things without really being one specific function. <laughs> so my job title now says uh, project engineer, but I mostly work with data and making data available to people and making them insightful. I love tinkering in it. That's why I started at Protospace. I loved education. I was responsible for the education program at Protospace. So I did a lot of classes with kids and I noticed how much they gained from just being able to do what they imagined that they could do. The enablement of kids and people that really triggered that I wanted to stay in this business. Uh, Protospace is a fab lab in Utrecht. So fab lab stands for fabrication laboratory. And it means that you have all kinds of digital tools that people can use to make their own stuff. So we have lab managers that, that can help people make their stuff, but people need to be able to make their own stuff. So we enable them to make their own stuff. We don't do it for them. So they can be empowered. And Protospace was one of the first ones in Europe of the Fab Lab variety. Yes, yes. They were very early on in 2008. It, it started already. Were you taking part in the, the Protobox builds and the early RepRap group builds at Protospace? I joined when there was the first or the second really Protobox box, uh, workshop. And first it was really the, the small things like you had to solder your own electronics, so put every component in all the bags and make sure that they were all distributed correctly. There was a kind of a building manual, but I noticed that some people are really have difficulty with following all steps. And then along the way, you, you, you notice what kind of mistakes people make and you can help out. And was Seert coming around Protospace for those sessions at all? Now, Sid was my boss. He was a lab manager. He was around, I think, three days a week. I was around three days a week. We had overlap. One of the first things I said, I was part of one of the workshops. And when it was ending, I said, can I make one? Can I build my own printer? I said, yeah, sure. I said, can I build a big one? So the first printer that I built, I designed myself. And it was as large as the laser cutter could make it. So I think 90 centimeters high. And I rearranged everything that the cables were correctly. And so that was the first printer that I built because I really wanted to be part of the 3D printing community. Can you share, if you remember any other conversations with Seert in particular about why he wanted to go from making this DIY activity there at Protospace for people to dive into to formalizing it as a business and launching a printer? I didn't think he saw it as launching a printer and making a business. It was more like, oh, a lot of people have interest in this workshop. We cannot invite them all over to Protospace. That just doesn't work. And we want to help those people out. So we sell kits. Well, perhaps we sell a hundred. That would be great, wouldn't it? Because then we have local manufacturing. So we help people make the things locally. He never intended to make a business. Tell me a little bit more about that rising interest. How far were people traveling to come and, and do these 
and what were their intentions for why they they, they joined to to do the build? The first few workshops were the wrap-up workshops, and actually those people just wanted to make robots. Group of people, same interests, just make something. That it printed or didn't print was actually not the most important part. The most important part was just learning and, and making something that moved. The first workshops also had more people that just wanted to tinker. And later workshops were more like people wanted to use them. So every six weeks, all people came back to Protospace and every time they came and said, oh, we have an, an improvement. Look at this. This works better. Uh, because they were really technical and really cared about the machine. And at the moment, I noticed, yeah, the machine, they, they couldn't care less, but they wanted the, the print. Look what I printed. Did you see this print? Did you see this print? And first it was, oh, look at that machine. It has new functions or it has a new knob or it has something. Oh, and that machine, it looks so pretty and it has a different fan. Oh, look at that. So yeah, it's a whole shift from printers to prints. So then let's take this forward a little bit. Ultimaker gets started somewhere between various kitchen tables, Eric and Martin's couple of desks in a little workshop area there. When did you become interested in joining? Actually, I never intended to join a company. I just saw that Seared was really busy and I, he was my lab manager. So I saw that it was too busy. I said, well, Seared, can I help? <laughs> and Seared said, yeah, get all those emails. I don't have time to answer all those emails and they just want to know mostly the same thing anyways. So I said, oh, well, can I help out? I set up an, a Hotmail address and then I, I put then Ultimaker under my name and it answered people. <laughs> so it changed really rapidly. Every month, month and a half, we had a different system. We had Eric on the team, so he loves new things and trying out new things. So we had changed quite often. Two, three months later, we had most of the goods in and then they said like, well, we can do it at Protospace, but hey, where, where do we leave the stuff? And then uh, Protospace was in Utrecht, so Martijn was in Gelder-Malsen and Eric lived in Tilburg, so they were more south. So where can we do something and be there at the same time? And Martijn said, I have a studio. It's a small garage-like room. It has a laser cutter, so we can do laser cutting over there and we can put all the things together and that's how it started so then they cleared out that studio and then yeah the laser cutter was there already and so we made some shelves and stuff was put on there and i was still working at protospace because that was my main job and then i helped out almost every evening and i think in total i did three days a week but then over every evening and some in one or two days and then once every week, I would go to Geldemalsen and, and sit there. And I had all kinds of questions that I couldn't answer yet because they were too technical. And said, hey, how, how is this? And what are the updates on the lead times? Didn't always like the answers because I had to email the people. Sorry, it's 12 week extra. Sorry. <laughs> that were, were not the most fun emails to write. Yeah. But in the beginning, people didn't really mind. They were really forgiving. So you, in the early days... You dived in to help where you could, but pretty soon there were also a lot of other people arriving and you had the opportunity to set up and manage R&D officially. So I became the R&D coordinator. I think it started in 2013 for about two years and a half I, until we were about 20 people. And then a real manager came in. 
so during the time what I did was mainly cat herding. Well, we had beautiful people, but they needed to be steered in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And they were all very knowledgeable on printing because they were fanatics and they really loved printing. So they knew what they were talking about. They just needed to have some path to guide them. So first we did some small projects and then we went and worked on the Ultimaker 2. Martijn did all the development work actually with Van Berlo. He didn't want to, the R&D department to be involved. So he went to Van Berlo, also designers, and they made most of the Ultimaker 2. And they already committed it to be launched at the Maker Fair. So deadline was set. And then Martijn Elsman went on holiday for a few months. So actually, we didn't know nothing about the project. The only person that was the intermediate was gone. And we had a very strict deadline. And we were, I think, five people, including interns, five, six. And good luck. <laughs> so Seared called us all in. He said, okay, we're going to do this. I trust you. You have my complete confidence. We're going to make this. And I was uh, the project manager to get everyone in the same uh, time frame and make everyone go. And if you knew that I knew molds from study, I never designed one. And I certainly never did a lot of them and checked them. But the deadline was getting nearer. And the things that take most time are, of course, molded parts. So I went to China. I made a test plan with David, who also not really a mechanical engineer. Okay, what can we test so that we make sure it fits? And I was off to China. Awesome. And I was there. I made sure that everything fitted and did everything so it was good. I packed everything in my suitcase. I arrived at Tuesday. We built it on Wednesday and, and Thursday. It was shipped out to America. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. The thing that, that was remarkable about this, Seared inspires people. Seared gives people confidence. And by doing that, he really gets the best of each person. So we worked our asses off because it was Seared. Marvin and Peter were there from the start. So they were my interns at Protospace. And so who did I know? that could be an engineer and didn't cost anything because we didn't have any money. And in the summer, I asked, hey, Peter, hey, Marvin, do you have time? So one came for a summer job to help out Martijn with drawings. And the other one did his uh, final thesis at Ultimaker. And then afterwards, also the other one came for his final thesis at Ultimaker. And they both really grew up in Ultimaker. That, that was really really sweet to see. At first, we were quite a compact company and it mm -hmm. has also challenges because yeah. everyone knew who was in charge of electronics or software, but sometimes you needed more people or it didn't go fast enough. So we were quite happy when we scaled up. When you start out, it's quite new. You have a small team, a small team that does everything. At that time, I went to Ferris quite a lot. Uh, Martijn van Gils also did. We were then from the R&D department going with sales marketing. And, and that was really awesome because you were on, on a big fair. And it was also a hassle because we went there with a fan. We needed to build up everything. We were with three people, so you never could go to the toilet. But it was 
we had something that moved. 3D printing was really new. So people didn't know what a 3D printer was. And if you had a really big fair and everything was very static, and then we had something that moved. And actually, we had the robots. And the robots were ticked off. So people would stand there for 20, half an hour. Just they want to catch the robot. At the beginning, I talked to most of the other printer companies and, and had relations with the people that were there at that time. And uh, if they had problems, I could help out. Actually, mostly if I walked by and p printer was stuck, didn't really matter the brand, I could help out. And that you also did that because, well, it was 3D printing. I, of course, came from a FabLab background and the FabLab community is quite tight. So if there are happenings within the Netherlands that needed printers or something else, we, mostly we helped out. And either I did that from Ultramaker perspective or from Protospace perspective, that actually didn't really matter. In 2013, we had the five-year celebration of Protospace and we had 60 printers running because we called on the whole community, please come to Utrecht. We have a big event and it's at Protospace, but it was actually Ultimaker. 60 Ultimakers threw out the tent printing simultaneously. I think we, we wanted it to be a world record, but it was so much paperwork. <laughs> In the beginning, the community was super, super active and they all helped out. And actually that reflects how 3D printing in the beginning was at all. You, yeah. you helped each other out, also other companies. Then I still think if if people come and ask you, should I buy an Ultimaker? You first need to hear them out. Perhaps Ultimaker is the best choice, but perhaps another printer is better for them. Oh, and then please advise them the better printer because that's the best way to help the customer. You know, looking back, on Ultimaker's modest origins and where it's headed now. What are a couple of insights that you take away that you think are really representative of Ultimaker? It was first a very tiny company, which we had a lot of fun, a small group of people, and, and that was actually quite good. And we could stay that way. And we chose not to. We chose to be wanting to be the biggest company that has a different mindset. So with being the biggest, you want to grow, you have more products, but a lot of change and change hurts. We grew and we had a lot of growing pains. And well, I think a lot of stuff really improved. We improved, we matured. We work now with, with multidisciplinary groups and we see also the documentation is way better because we take the time to document. But it also means that our speed is decreasing because we have time to document. David is a genius, but his code is not beautiful. It is functional and then functional for prototypes. And now we learned how to take functional code for prototypes and make it, I don't know how many machines we now have, 10,000, 100,000? We have so many machines in the field. We need to take proper care of it. So we need teams that document and have good code, stable code. I love Ultimaker and I love what we do and I love the company that we are because we embrace change and we grow. And seeing people grow, seeing teams grow, that's awesome. And also our customers grow. First, we needed to explain customers what's printing. And then we explained customers how they could print the things that were already designed for them. And now we help people to design their own stuff and improve it. And now we only help with settings. So we are maturing, the market is maturing, and it's a great roller coaster to see that coming together. 
Thank you again to this week's guest. We'll return next week with another full episode of Talking Additive. And in two weeks' time, join us right here for our next bonus episode. Don't want to miss any of this great content? If you haven't already, you should subscribe to Talking Additive wherever you listen to podcasts. And join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Editing for this episode by Alexander Seuss. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini. Studio manager, David Roberson. Executive producer, Nuno Campos. Music by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer, Matt Griffin. And thank you for listening. 